hello. Welcome back to This Is True. So happy to be able to record an episode today. Um, like I said, I'm like, I think every episode of this show, we're fighting technical difficulties. So if you've come here since listening to episode three, um, you'll know that we probably had some audio issues with episode three when we initially uploaded it. It for some reason the audio tracks didn't merge and it was just all messed up and you couldn't hear me talking at all um so hopefully by the time you're listening to this episode that will all be fixed um if you haven't checked out episode three go check it out it should it should be fixed and working now so and i apologize for that but on the bright side for y'all y'all get two episodes of this is true in one week now instead of a little further apart like they were supposed to be um so, let's let's get into the today's show. Um, LSU defeated Iowa in the women's uh, national championship. I don't I don't keep up with basketball, especially don't really keep up with women's basketball. But I did watch the final four and the championship game, and let me tell you, that was just an absolutely incredible couple of playoff games. Um, Caitlin Clark, absolutely historic season. I mean, she is a just absolute baller. Um, unfortunately, came up short, but no not not no part of her i mean she she was just incredible throughout the game i mean she scored over 30 points in her championship loss in a loss she scored 30 i mean that was just incredible congratulations to lsu winning their first title in program history um historic accomplishment i mean if we look over in the men's side i mean san diego state versus yukon coming up yukon absolutely dominating final four win against miami they won by I forget what the final score was, but I want to say it was around 15 points they won by, which is, I mean, in the final four, that's impressive. Um, then San Diego State, uh, one of the best endings I have ever seen personally, like witnessed live on a TV. Um, it, I mean, that, that buzzer beater to win the game, I mean, they're losing all game at po- some points. They were down by around 10 points, and then they come all the way back to hit that buzzer beater for the win. I was over at my girlfriend's family's house, and me and her brother were watching it, and we got up, and we just went nuts when that happens, and we don't really even care who really won the game, but that was just incredible. You love to see that sort of thing in sports, and the fact that it was in a Final Four game of March Madness just makes it all much more better, and just it's why we watch the games. Um, you watch it hoping to see something like that, and we were able to see it on the biggest stage. Um, but yeah, let's get into today's main topic. I want to. It's gonna. This is gonna be a college football show today. I want to talk more college football. The last couple of episodes, we've talked more NFL, and you know me, college football is more my passion. I know more about college football. I would say I feel like I know a fair bit about both, but college football is definitely my forte. Um, so I want to talk about a few things that I found interesting going on. I know it's the off season, so there's not a whole lot going on, but there's still several things that I just think are at least to me, are really interesting. So let's get into that. Um, Big thing I want to talk about, this this happened a few weeks ago, and I was planning on talking about it, but I was unable to record an episode right when it happened. So I've kind of been sitting on this for a few weeks, and I just kind of want to break it down. But Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC. It's been going around, like, whether they're going to be moving this year, um, not this year, but 2024 season versus 2025 season, whether this year will be their last season in the Big 12 or next season. It, it, it's unclear. The official thing coming out now is that the 2023 season will be their last season as part of the Big 12. 
and then the 24th season will be their first season in the SEC, but that's open to change. There's multiple reports coming out about it. I, I think the details are still kind of unclear on that, but that's the way it appears. Um, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are all joining the Big 12 this year. So their first year will have Texas and Oklahoma in conference um, as well. So there will be an additional four teams joining instead of going up by only two. They'll go up by four years, and then they'll go down. They'll go down next year. Um, so hopefully those four teams will lessen the impact of the two blue-chip programs like Texas and Oklahoma leaving the conference. I mean, I don't think it's going to be enough to replace Texas and Oklahoma because brands-wise, those are – those are two top ten programs that brand wise that are leaving the Big Twelve, and I, I just don't think that teams like that, are, like BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, they're not going to be enough to totally offset that. But hopefully they can make a difference because those are fan bases that I mean BYU has a huge fan base, um, and then Cincinnati and UCF have been growing. Um, they've they've been two of the best group of five teams over the last five years or so and then Houston I mean there's it's just a storied program they have a lot they've had a lot of success over the past so I think it's going to be help but I'm not sure it will be totally enough but I really want to focus more on what this means for the SEC um I'm an SEC homer I mean grow up Georgia fan so SEC near and dear to my heart it's going to impact the SEC just as much as it's going to impact the Big 12 because this really means that the SEC is going to have to decide their conference realignment because something's got to change. And it appears that the way that they're going to do it, the SEC, is they're going to do away with divisions. Um, they're going to do away with the divisions, and they're gonna instead going to have a rotational system with each team playing at an away game and then an at-home game to every other team in the conference over the course of a four-year span. So that means if a player comes in as a freshman and stays through his senior year, he's going to play away and home every team in the con in the conference. Um, so, And then each team would also have one or two rivals that they would play every year. So we wouldn't be doing entirely away with like the rival system like we have now, but there would be less rivalry games, it appears, that you, or at least games that you play every year um, in conference. Um, this sounds cool. I, I still would rather we stick with divisions. It, call me old-fashioned. Call me a creature of habit. But I, I just I don't like the idea of doing away with divisions because it takes away a sense of urgency, in, in, in my opinion, because you don't have these games that are must-win to win the division to get a place in the SEC championship game. You don't, like Imagine an Iron Bowl last week of the regular season where both Auburn and Alabama are having good seasons and win or lose, they get to play each other next the next week in the SEC championship. That is a very realistic scenario that could happen if we do away with the divisions. We'll never have that problem right, right now with the division system. And I, I, I feel like it takes away from the games in regular, the regular season games because there's less of a sense of urgency. I could be totally wrong about that. I, I I hope I am because it appears that we are doing away with the divisions. But I, I kind of – if it ain't broke, don't fix it, I say. Um, 
I would keep the East and West divisions, but I do think that we need to kind of realign them a little bit where they make a little bit more geographical sense. East and West, it's kind of getting blurred. Um, I mean, we have Missouri as a Eastern team. Where's Texas? Uh, where are Texas and Oklahoma going to go? Are they both going to go to the West type of deal? So I, I think we do need to realign them. So like in, in my, if, if I was going to redesign the divisions, I've kind of written out how I would like it. I would, the Eastern Division would be Kentucky, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Alabama, and Auburn. Where they would, I would move them over to the Eastern Division, and then in our the West we would have Texas and Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Mizzou, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Just where it makes a little bit more geographical sense. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I left it off. Arkansas and LSU would also be in that Western Division, of course. I'm sorry. Um, totally skipped them. Um, it just makes more geographical sense. We keep pretty much all of the in-division rivalries that are played every year. It makes the divisions more exciting. We get to see Alabama and Georgia in the same division. I mean, that would be exciting. We get to see Texas A&M and Texas play each other every year. Texas A&M, Oklahoma. That's just my opinion on what we should do. I, I We'll find out soon enough exactly how it's going to look. And either way, I think the SEC is always going to be a very exciting conference to watch play, regardless of how exactly it's laid out. But, you know, regardless, it'll be really cool to see. And exciting times to be a college football fan. Um, so now the next topic I want to talk about is something it may only be of interest to me and like and, and a select group of people, but I, it's the quarterback battle here at University of Georgia. Um, no secret, if, you, if you're not a Georgia fan, this may not interest you, but no secret here, I am a Georgia fan, um, so this is of particular <laughs> interest to me. Um, as, as, as we all know, UGA is losing its starter, Stetson Bennett, um, two-time national title winner. I mean, just arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks in Georgia history. I mean, not even arguably, definitely one of the greatest quarterbacks in Georgia history, if not the greatest quarterback in Georgia history. Um, so got to pick a new quarterback going into this year. There's a quarterback battle going on between last year's backup and this year's presumed starter, Carson Beck, and then the other younger quarterbacks on the roster, Brock Manigriff and Gunnar Stockton. At this point, it, it really appears that Carson Beck's going to be the starter. He's shown he can make the plays. He's shown that he has good leadership. Um, Coach Smart, Coach Kirby Smart has made it fairly clear that Beck is in the lead for the job, but he also appears to left the door. I wouldn't say the door's open, but I'd say the door's cracked for Brock Vandergriff to earn that starting job. Um, Vandergriff appears to have taken a clear lead over Gunnar Stockman for, for, for the backup job. Um, Beck is the more poised of the quarterbacks from any, anything we've seen and heard coming out of spring practice and that sort of thing, but Vandegrift kind of has that ability to work through those off-tempo plays when when the protection breaks down. He's a little bit better with his legs, but at the same time, that kind of has caused him to make more, be more mistake-prone um, because he tries to break it down with his legs a little better. So I think at the end of the day, we'll see Carson Beck emerge as the starter. 
but I, I would not be surprised if we see both quarterbacks play the first couple games of the season. We have a fairly, like, some pretty easy games right there at the beginning of the schedule this year, and so I would not be surprised if we saw both of them kind of play and we just kind of figure it out before we head into, like, our tougher SEC schedule um, before Smart comes to a permanent decision. But I do expect Beck to be the starter. I, I don't really care. I mean, I, I, I don't care is not the right word. I'm not concerned about who the starter is going to be because I really think they're both extremely talented players. But if I got to pick one, in all in all reality, I'm 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 pulling for Brock, and that I mean that no disrespect to Carson Beck. What I think he's a phenomenal player. Um, Brock Vandegrift, though, hometown kid, grew up right outside Athens. Um, me and him grew up in the same county. He's a year or so younger than me, but we grew up in the same county. Um, so I've been hearing about him for years and years since like his freshman year of high school, at least been hearing about him. And it just, so got to pull for the hometown kid. Um, just kind of, the position is in good hands, regardless of who comes. I am honestly more curious to see what happens to that third quarterback on the roster or right now it's Gunnar Stockton, but well, if he makes that move and secures the backup position, then does it become Brock Vandegrift? Um, do we lose that third quarterback, whoever that is, to the transfer portal? I, I, I honestly think we will. I think it's just a matter of when that actually happens. Does it happen after spring practice of this year? Or does it happen, like, off season next year? I, I think we're too talented and loaded at the quarterback position here at UGA to expect all of these players to wait until their junior and Caesar se junior and se senior seasons to play and not transfer. I mean, it is just it is the day and age we live in where the transfer portal is so much easier to use th than it ha was in the past. We can't expect everybody to just wait and sit till their junior and senior season as much as I would like them to. Um, I I I and I tend to think that Stockton is going to transfer just because it feels like. Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift have cemented themselves as the quarterback one and two on that team, regardless of who ends up being the starter. I think the other one is the backup. I don't see him moving in front of the two of them, either of them, this year, meaning that he wouldn't have a chance to start until year after next, probably. And so his senior year, and I, I just don't see that happening. And it breaks my heart, too, because I love Gunnar Stockton. I've watched him play a lot throughout high school. I mean, starting probably his sophomore year, I've been talking about Gunnar Stockton. Yeah, I mean, he's elite. He's broke a lot of Trevor Lawrence, a lot of Deshaun Watts, and a lot of Justin Fields high school quarterback records for the state of Georgia. Side note, if you, if you did not know, Georgia's where, like, all the elite quarterbacks are from. <laughs> the, like, you, you look at them, they're from Georgia. They're from Georgia. Best, best state for high school football in the country don't at me best above texas yes i said that we're better than texas top to bottom y'all may have some bigger stadiums but from a talent level we are better i will say that right now um but back to back to a quarterback leaving I, while i think it'll be stockton it could be vandegrave i don't see that happening but regardless of who leaves i think there'll be a day one starter on any other team in the country wherever they transfer to they i truly believe they'll be the starter uh, georgia is on 
such an elite level right now, talent-wise, that I, I, I really believe that the third best quarterback on their team could be a starter anywhere else in the country. Um, regardless of who the starter ends up being and who transfers, I, I think UGA is simply reloading at the position and will be definitely be back in playoff contention this year, whoever the starter is. And I really think that they have a legitimate shot um, at going three in a row, winning a third consecutive national title, which would be absolutely insane, almost unprecedented um, in the modern era, at least. Uh, I know there's a couple teams gone back to back, but I, I can't think of a team in the modern era that has won three in a row. It may have never happened. I'm, I, I'm sure it has. But in the modern era of football, I don't think that I've seen that, that happening before. And I, I think Georgia has a very – very solid chance of making that happen. Um, third thing I want, I want to talk about, um, 24-7 Sports came out with their odds for winning the national title this year. Um, and it's really interesting to see where some of those teams rank. Excuse me, I'm going to take a sip of water there. <coughs> Excuse me. Obviously, you know, it's kind of too early to see exactly how these teams are gonna actually match up, so I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't put much stock in these odds, but it's it's kind of interesting to see what teams people are really high on this early in the off season. Um, for example, one team that really sticks out to me is Florida State has the sixth best odds in the country at plus eighteen hundred, and don't don't get me wrong, I think Florida State is going to be a very good team like they are a legitimate top 10 team and i and i i think they're a legitimate contender to win the acc and make the college football playoff i'm not saying they will i think they're a contender but that just seems high six six best i i i don't think they're the sixth best team in the country and i think the reason they're so high is because they play in the acc which is a weaker conference in general top to bottom and so they're going to have an easier path, and I think that's why the odds are like are that because they have an easier path versus some of these teams from the SEC that I think are better teams, but they have to play each other so much that they're going to beat up on each other and eliminate. Um, so I, I would just be hesitant putting that much stock in Florida State this early because I'm not sure – how much of it is based off of how good the team is and how much of it is they're playing inferior opponents. The other team that I, I felt like has is, is being ranked really high is, is Alabama. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Alabama is going to be a very good team next year, but they have the second-best odds to win the national title this year, plus 500. That, that also seems really high to me. Um, considering that they, they couldn't win their division last year with the returning Heisman winner and one of the best defenders in the country um, with, with, with uh, Will Anderson and Bry Bryce Young. And, and, and now they don't have either of those players returning, and all of a sudden they're going to be better. Um, I, 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 just, I just don't see that. They have a new quarterback, at this, and they don't even know who their quarterback is going to be this po at this point. I mean, is it going to be Jaden Milrow, last year's backup? Or is it going to be Ty Simpson, a freshman, coming in? Like, I think regardless of who the starter is, it, it's going to take some time to work it out. And it, I just think Alabama's 
getting a little bit overhyped because of the success over the over previous years versus actually looking at their roster and like what they're going to have to overcome to get back to a playoff and a national title run. I mean, they still have to go through LSU who beat them last year. Texas A&M is going to be better. Texas A&M is better than a four-win team. I mean, they're going to I'm not saying they're going to beat Alabama, but they're going to be better this year. Um, Ole Miss is still in division and I I just think giving Alabama the second best odds is a little bit overhyping them. I could be totally wrong about that. I, I just think that's a little bit much. Um, and then the best odds in the country are UGA um, at plus 220. I, I think it's right to have them having the best odds, considering they've gone back-to-back. But I do think the gap is smaller than these odds say that it is for them to, for them to repeat. Uh, I mean, they have twice as good of odds as the best team at Alabama. Um, they're losing so much. I mean, they've, they've lost a lot of the pieces. Um, and I know, they, I know they lost pieces the year before, and they still went back and won the national title. But they're, they're losing their quarterback, which is, that, that is going to make an impact. While I was said earlier in this episode that I, I think the position is in good hands, that is going to make an impact. So I think that Georgia's margin for error has gotten a lot smaller and that these, these odds are just a little bit misleading about how much better Georgia really is than these teams. I, I just, I'm just concerned. I would not – I don't think – I don't think the gap is as big between UGA as some people might believe and other teams. Um, and like You thought the target on their back was big going into last season after winning one title. I mean, they went – they went they went back to back now and they went undefeated. Everybody not everybody already was gunning for them. Now they're loaded for bear going after them. Everybody's you're, you're gonna get every team's a game Georgia. There's no margin for error. I, I think it's very possible, like I've said before, that UGA wins the national title again this year, goes three in a row. But the margin for error is incredibly small, not as far ahead of other teams as some would say. I and I say that as a Georgia fan. Nobody wants them to win more than I do. I, but we, we George is almost entering the area of being overhyped, and I just hope it doesn't get to the players' heads. I don't think it will. Kirby Smart is really good at keeping the players focused and just one game at a time, one game at a time that passes in the past. So I, I just hope that the media and all the, the, the Georgia fans just don't get into the players' heads that they're better than they are because it's all starting from zero again. Past success does not matter. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, new episodes going to be dropping soon. So follow us on Instagram so that you can always find out the latest about the show. Um, thank you all so much for listening.